Welcome to Is This Working? The tools we use to work have changed drastically, but how we work hasn't. In this podcast, we explore how we can make work work better for us. We're your hosts, me, Anna Codrado, and me, Tiffany Philippou. Each week, we challenge conventional views about work by taking on topics like mental health, productivity, office culture, and even what the modern way of working means for our relationships. This isn't about the future of work. This is about what's happening in work right now. This week, we're talking about productivity and why we feel like we are not getting enough things done. But before we get into the episode, let's catch up a bit, Tiffany, because you've been away. I have. I've been very productively having fun and escaping a hurricane as well. (laughs) Um, But it's good to be back in the studio. It's great to be back in the studio. I've missed you. Yes. um, The last two episodes that went out were, I mean, all of our episodes are obviously pre-recorded. We're not live broadcasting, but our episodes, last episodes were pre-recorded before Tiffany went to, where was it you went to? Charleston? I went to Charleston in the US with me and a bunch of lads. (laughs) <laughs> and yeah, I hope you had a very productive time. It was very productive. Uh, and now I have serious holiday brain. So apologies in advance for the quality of my chat. <laughs> um, and whilst you've been away, we've had a bit of feedback to the last few, last couple of episodes that we've done. I was at an event recently where I bumped into a very old friend of ours called Rob, who has been listening to all of our episodes with um, great interest because he's a recent career changer. So he was previously a lawyer and he starts his first week in teacher training this week. So wishing Rob a very productive start to a new career. Good luck, Rob. That's such a brave thing to do. I feel like people talk about switching careers and very rarely do it. So Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's also very interesting. I mean, I'm not going to speak on Rob's behalf on this point, but he and I were at university together and my experience at uni was, it was really, you know, in terms of what career options were out there, the university really heavily pushed the law and management consultancy and accountancy or going off and kind of retraining as a doctor. So... I can imagine how someone would end up going down a path that maybe didn't feel like it was necessarily right for them. There you go. University, not great for career choices. <laughs> nope. No freelancing booths at the career fair. Um, anyway, what what else have, what other feedback do we have? We did have a question. Should we go through that? Yeah. Um, so this is from Melissa, who said that she works in insurance in the city, which is a very male-dominated environment. And... She said that she gets along fine with it because she's quite chatty, but the trouble she's having is a significant number of women in senior management roles, uh, she finds them quite difficult to aspire to because they seem to emulate more masculine type, she says, red personality traits. And she says many of them don't have children or are workaholics with a poor work-life balance. And she said, while some of the male leaders are like this too, I would say from the three companies I've worked at that it's much more pronounced theme among women. Is it just my industry or something you've noticed in yours? So that's quite um, a big and heavy question. I would say that from my own experience in the media industry, it's very male dominated at the very top. So the majority of newspaper editors at the kind of 
when I say editor, I sort of mean like the editor in chief, the people running the show. Those are, those tend to be men. Throughout my career, before I went freelance, I've pretty much always worked for female managers. So the rung up for me was always women, but you do still get that trickle down effect when you have only men running the show because it's just not necessarily geared towards supporting women in a way that actually works for them. Um, but I don't know, what What about your experiences in yeah, the startup well, world? Well, I think it's really sad that Melissa doesn't feel like she's got people to aspire to. I mean, my experiences are, um, yeah, I think some of the women I've worked with have been the worst. And the trouble is you think you're a bad feminist. It's partly generational, I think. Um, women who have got to the top in certain environments have had to act a certain way and I think one way of thinking about it is to think about it with compassion so they've been put under this pressure to show that they're working harder and to you say workaholic like they've had to probably work harder and put more hours in to get to where they are so what you can do I think is to acknowledge that but not feel too bad if you just don't get along with them in a way I think that's fine as well. I also think there's that very cheesy quote about be the change that you want to see. So she may, Melissa may not see women in leadership positions that resonate with her. One thing she can possibly do is become that leader who future women who come through the company will want to emulate. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for emailing us, Melissa. If anybody else wants to ask us anything at all um, from work questions to what I got up to on my holiday, please email us at isthisworkingshow at gmail.com. On with this week's episode. Productivity. Anna, you've written a couple of really interesting pieces about productivity. Tell me about them. Yes, I have. So most recently I wrote a piece called Why Creativity Can't Be Hacked. And I really do think that the way conversation is going, creativity and productivity are kind of very much connected. And in that piece, it was much more of an essay, um, as sort of an uh, opinion type piece almost. I tried to make the case and also backing up by speaking to scientists that this pursuit that many of us seem to have at the moment where you seem to, where people seem to think that they can find shortcuts to being creative on demand essentially just doesn't work and that the science doesn't really back it up either. So there are a lot of people out there who kind of peddle this idea that if you do things in this certain way, if you have a morning routine in this particular way, if you copy what Einstein did, you too will be super creative. And it doesn't actually, it well, yeah, it's actually very hard to prove whether, whether or not it works because actually creativity has got so many variables to it. But I mean, 
I definitely find it that I know we've spoken before in the past about how I do love a rigid routine. Sidebar, I've recently stopped using an alarm. Thank you to your (laughs) recommendation. And I'm not convinced that, I mean, I do, this is the thing is I think you need, you need some, you need some level of structure, but you will not force creativity by using these hacks. So one of the examples I, I kind of spoke about in the essay was this guy who read had read somewhere that if you hang upside down, it'll increase blood flow to your brain and that will spark creative ideas. So he used to get into these kind of funks in his working environment, in his work situation, and he would literally lie off the side of the couch trying to kind of bring the blood to his head. But all that happened is that he got a headache. This kind of the light bulb eureka moment didn't happen. And you also wrote for Wired about extreme productivity hacks. And what's your general impression of the sort of people that pursue productivity? It's actually, I think they actually, I mean, I'm not, I I do resist kind of putting people into two camps, but I think that actually people who pursue extreme productivity do broadly fall into two categories one are the people who actually are so extremely and acutely focused and know exactly what it is that they want that they are using hacks or methods or kind of you know they'll do anything in the name of productivity because they want that thing so badly and by and large a lot of those people are actually driven by intrinsic motivation which we'll get into later on i think um and then and then there are the other people who they want productivity for productivity's sake or they want creativity for creativity's sake because both of these things have become currencies, very valuable currencies in the kind of ecosystem that we live in right now. And they will emulate a hack or um, someone else's daily routine or you know whatever tips that Elon Musk says he does because they want to be a creative person. They want to be a productive person. It's not that they're actually got a problem that they need to solve so those are the kind of two distinctions i will also add that kind of a lot of this does obviously happen in the um silicon valley space and i don't just mean that necessarily in the actual geographical location but um people who are part of the tech world the startup world um but also kind of you know media type people as well so there is sort of a um I guess a specific kind of person that kind of gets drawn to these types of ideas. Fascinating stuff. So next up, we're going to work out exactly what we mean by productivity. And we will be asking the question, why do we feel like we're not getting enough done? So what do we actually mean by productivity and what how are we actually defining productivity here? Well, it's obviously all over the news because the UK is suffering from a productivity crisis and pro- well productivity is measured by the amount of work produced per working hour and f- at the news level rather than the level of self it's the main driver of long-term economic growth and higher living standards. So the labour productivity in the UK has 
has been lower over the past decade than at any other time in the 20th century. So this is why there's a lot of chat about UK is really suffering. We have a productivity crisis. No one really knows what the causes are, which I think is really interesting. But what we're going to more be talking about is productivity. And that is what I think is really interesting is actually being productive versus how productive you feel like you're being. Yeah, I mean, so there's there's obviously the top level kind of productivity as a measure of um, economic health, which, by the way, there are lots of um, economists who aren't, you know, they, they actually, they call into question whether productivity even is the best measure of um, the health of a economy and society, but that is for another time. Um, but what we're really talking about is your the individual's productivity so you as a person and how much output you're producing in terms of your own kind of bubble not how it sort of impacts the wider UK economy and I feel like everyone's really obsessed with productivity right now yeah I mean productivity and also optimization as well those have become two massive buzzwords and there are countless medium articles about how to be more productive every day Um, and what I find really interesting is as I've kind of mentioned, productivity is being positioned as this destination that you must achieve rather than something that is more sustainable, rather than it being a more sustainable way of living. Because really to actually be truly productive, you have to be able to sustain that every day. So, you know, I'm sure there are people out there who can get up at 6am and kind of do you know so much in their day but I I don't know that just doesn't really feel super sustainable to me no and I think also so I'm just with I just looked up the top medium articles on productivity so this is the title of the most read articles and perhaps you'll see why I'm slightly allergic to the concept of productivity once I read these out um number one why you should be a morning person another one nine things every person should do before 8 a.m how I became a morning person, learned a new language, read five times more books in 2015. Like, I just find it all so, it's a, it's a very state, like re- repetitive narrative. Like, why can't it be like going to bed later? I find that really annoying. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's all the same. Well, I mean, this is, and this is what I got into in my, in my piece, which is that it's very formulaic and it's, it's, um, you know, here are nine things you should do and sort of here are these steps you must take. Whereas, and, and most of these are based off of a blueprint created by retrospectively taking a very successful person and looking at how, looking at their routines and their habits and kind of creating a formula. Whereas I think if you actually got in a time machine and went back and asked Einstein if, oh, but you know, you wearing a thinking hat like did did that actually work you know these things are these things have been retrospectively applied and what what might work for one person may not work for another person it reminds me a bit of our success episode and how we talked about how people presume or feel entitled to the certain people's level of success and they think it's easy and I think there's something about obsessively reading lists about how to hack your way to success is actually it's that same thing where you're just trying to almost take a shortcut or become someone else but actually that's just not the reality yeah and um there was a really great quote in the piece I wrote um I mean the 
it wasn't me that said it that's what i'm saying it's a great quote um there is um a friend of the podcast matthew knight who runs the leapers community which is an independent workers community you should go and check them out at leapers.co i think is their website um Anyway, I interviewed him for the piece and he said, hacks feel like secret power-ups that we can pick up along the way as if work is a game, a giant game of Mario Kart. I thought that really, really encapsulated this whole issue for me. And, you know, Matthew kind of was telling me how he's tried all of the hacks going. He's tried the, you know, um, the Pomodoro technique, which I I am personally a fan of, Um, but also, uh, you know, doing the um, Marie Kondo kind of like magic art of tidying up and sort of, you know, bulletproof coffee, everything going. He's tried and he said none of it works because actually you're not addressing like the real root cause of the issue. So when you kind of think about productivity and it's about kind of getting more done in less time, I mean, one of the most effective ways to do that is to take quite a lot off your plate or start saying no to things. And rather than trying to take on more and more and do it in that same amount of time and become some kind of machine, which you won't, really you need to be evaluating like why why are we doing all these things why is there so much pressure on us to optimize things and it kind of comes back to this something that we talk a lot about on this podcast which is the actual system is causing the pressure it's not a failure on the individuals who to not be able to produce enough it's that the system is putting too much pressure on us and the expectations are completely out of line yeah because if you don't have enough time to get everything done you can either try and turn into a robot and wake up at 6am and be tired by 4pm or you could just create more time for yourself episode one shout out for that if you want to learn more about that um but it is just part of that narrative that's very damaging around you have to be better you have to push for more you have to improve yourself all the time because obviously the underlying message of that is you're not enough and it's also quite dehumanizing. You know how you talked about um, if you're productive, you have to do the same thing every day. Like that's just impossible. Like even as a, as a female, for example, your month <laughs> um, and how you feel and your mood, like there's so many things that affect how you would be day to day. Like we are not machines. Yeah, exactly. And that's that really, I think, kind of comes down to all of this. And it kind of, I guess, kind of, you know, we're not going to get into these sort of like macroeconomic discussions, but it does loop back to this whole thing of like, should we even be measuring the health of our of our economy by a very, by, by this measure that really suits machines more than it does humans? And what about productivity with regards to output? Because I think there's something about extrinsic and intrinsic values and how, or motivations and how that plays into it. That plays a massive role. I mean, it's something that in both of the pieces I wrote for the um, for the Wired piece and also the other piece was um, for Forge, which is a medium publication. So after me kind of going on about how there are so many productivity pieces on medium, there, there I go writing one. Although mine is a counter narrative. But anyway, um, both, of, both of those things really came back to this this central issue this central idea which is true productivity needs to be driven by an intrinsic motivation so there needs to be something that you are so focused on and that you want for yourself and just and for the value of that thing rather than an external reward Um, and there's actually been quite a lot of research that shows that 
uh, offering employees monetary rewards to kind of get them to do more actually doesn't always work and people aren't that motivated by external validation and really the best way to get something done is you need to want it for yourself and one of the people I interviewed for the Wired piece um, a guy called Malcolm Ocean who has set up a goal setting app he was telling me that he used to use apps and methods that would um, basically uh, if he didn't reach his goal he would he would have some kind of punishment so it's sort of the inverse of that external validation where if you don't write a thousand words by the end of the day you have to pay a pound to this app or a dollar or whatever it might be and he said that that did really help at the beginning to just sort of like start churning things out but he kind of had this moment where he was he sort of realized what I don't this is just I don't this isn't working for me I I don't want to be writing just for writing's sake I want to be motivated you know I love writing I want to write because I'm moved to write not because I have to and not because I'm have to sort of punish myself if I don't so um yeah I think I think that's to me that's always been the real key that and, and like I said it's actually the people who are really really focused and have that intrinsic motivation those are the people who actually are interestingly enough are the ones who benefit the most from setting these massive structures around their productivity because they they know exactly what it is they're going for so the most productive people are people who are less interested in output is what you're saying yeah which is really interesting i think and i think also if you enjoy the process i mean how can you enjoy the process if you're trying to optimize it exactly exactly you can't you know like let's take your your book for example you can't it's going to be really hard to write uh, writing a book is really hard and you can't there's no hack where you can remove the messy parts of writing the book that the, I don't know a single person who's ever written or made anything that the process has been really smooth from start to finish like that will you cannot optimize your way out of the messy parts of creating something because it's just in complete opposition to the very nature of creating yeah absolutely because creativity is often very emotionally driven as well so it either might drain you in a certain way or you'll have a good day or a bad day or it um you have to be in the right mood for it i don't know there's so many things that impact creativity is messy so you can't really structure to make it unmessy exactly i mean i i think you know like i said i'm i'm a routine person i i am quite a structured person and i do find that it it can help but it is not it's it's not it's not a magic bullet at all but do you allow space within that for error if you know what I mean because I think that makes quite a difference I think I don't allow enough room for error and I think that is why I need to improve on and on that note that brings us nicely into the final part of today's show where we're going to be asking how can we motivate ourselves
end with our last segment on tips for motivating yourself and also you know obviously we've said that productivity shouldn't be a destination but I think there are definitely some practical things that we can do for people who do want to feel more productive and also maybe reframe how they actually think about productivity in the first place or if you're struggling to get your work done because you're procrastinating and I think we'll talk about that as well. Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, this is the other thing that I think is really important to mention is there are plenty of times when you just have to do something. You may not want to and, you know, you have to make yourself work in situations when you when you just don't want to do it. Um, and I am a very firm believer that willpower is bullshit and having to sort of will yourself to do something whether that be go to the gym or finish this pitch or you know do the laundry whatever it is willpower only really sets you up for disappointment and there are actually a lot more um there there are better ways for you to kind of tackle hard tasks one of my favorite being if then planning so it Essentially, you give yourself a very, very clear guideline for how and when you're going to do something. So, for example, you could say, if it's 10 a.m., then I'll stop doing, then I'll stop what I'm doing and work on this pitch. Um, It works best in very, when the task is um, quite simple or not necessarily simple, but when it's like a very clearly defined task. Uh, And you can also use this kind of approach for rewarding yourself. So you could say, if I finish writing this pitch by the end of today, then I can have a muffin or, you know, whatever it might be. Interesting. Do you do that? Sometimes when it's sort of, when it's something I really, really don't want to do, um, I'll use, I'll tend to use it more as, so interestingly I I found when I worked in offices I actually used to use this a lot more and I used to I used to um use the specific kind of time framing so I'd say it you know if it gets to three o'clock and I've not started on this thing yet then I have to write 100 words of it or make you know have a go at the first draft or whatever it might be now I tend to use it I tend to use it less and also I tend to use it more in in the kind of reward space but that's also partly because when you work for yourself rewards and appraisals and recognition you don't get them in those traditional ways that you did in uh you know when you have when you have a boss so i like to try and find ways to kind of like build rewards in because you also need to you need to reward yourself every now and then you're your own boss yeah exactly what else have you got for us Anna I feel like you're the expert here (laughs) um (laughs) I just cleared out my diary to have anything else to do (laughs) well so this is so this is something that um the Guardian columnist and um he's actually also written a book about sort of how to get stuff done as well um Oliver Berkman he has this whole thing about don't wait until you feel like doing something. So a lot of us will say, oh, I, um, I, I don't, I, I'm not a morning person because I don't feel like I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just not a morning person. Uh, 
and he has this whole thing kind of remove this idea that you need to like don't don't wait until you feel like doing something just do it I would add to this that I think that only works for people who actually really want something so I think a lot of people say that they don't they're not mourning people that's fine own that if you're if you're not a morning person who wants to be a morning person, then do something about it. If you're not a morning person who does want to, does want to be one, well, the other way, I've completely, I've confused myself what I'm saying, but basically what I'm saying is don't use feelings as an excuse because actually there are ways to get over that. If you actually want to do something, then remove this kind of needing to wait for it wait to feel like doing it yeah do you know what that made me think of you know when you're um watching tv at bedtime or whatever and you're like i need to go and take off my makeup and brush my teeth and like the thought of doing it's so bad but eventually you have to like you just pull yourself off the sofa and once you walk into the bathroom it's like totally fine i think that's that's quite a good example obviously i know it's not work related but that's quite a good example of like ripping off the band-aid yeah definitely exactly i mean i i i basically feel like that every single night um one actual trick i've learned for that is i've started taking my makeup off a lot sooner in the day to kind of prevent that but it's true it's that thing of i want to go to bed but there is this thing in between me and the bed which is going to the bathroom taking my makeup off and brushing my teeth you're never going to feel like you, that is not a fun activity you're never going to feel like doing it. You can buy all of the expensive skincare products and kind of fancy brushes in the world. It's still boring. So just get over that basically. And and yeah, and it's I think that's applicable to um that's applicable to work situations as well. But I do think that if you start doing something and you're not getting anywhere, you can either punish yourself by like sitting at your desk or you can be like, you know what? Like this isn't working. Um, and I, I imagine that's particularly relevant for creative stuff. It's not really working. Let me give up and come back to it another time rather than torture yourself. Because I bet it gets worse the more you kind of submit yourself to trying to make it work when you just can't for whatever reason. Yeah, I, agree. I definitely agree with that. Um, I mean, also, the, the other thing is, you know, as long-time, long-time listeners, we've only had eight episodes, as um, as listeners may have kind of heard me talk about before, you know, they're the micro thing. There are some micro things that we can do. And then there's also the kind of macro sort of how these systems need to change. And one thing that I think is also worth bearing in mind is when it comes to productivity and a lot of it, especially if you work in an office, so much of it is also just your environment. So if your company doesn't have a really good flexible working policy or doesn't kind of allow you to kind of work in a way that suits you, that's also not going to help either. Um, I was recently reminded of this really brilliant experiment. Um, it was in the early 2000s. It was called the Results Only Work Environment. And it was developed by Callie Ressler and Jodie Thompson, who went into Best Buy, made famous by the serial, <laughs> um, serial podcast. But anyway, they went into Best Buy and they came up with this amazing new management system which was entirely driven just by the results of the work and they threw out all the schedules um, meetings became optional and employees all they had their sole objective was just to get their work done how and when it happened was completely up to them 
of course, you know, for the employees that actually were, and this applied, this applied to the employees who worked on the shop floor, but also, and as well as the kind of um, back office workers as well. Of course, the employees who worked on the shop floor, if they had to be in at 9am, they had to be in at 9am to open the shops, you know. Um, but otherwise, you, you know, you didn't have to take a sick day. If you needed to stay at home, you could stay at home. Um, and the results were absolutely amazing. Productivity went up, worker engagement went up, turnover went down. Uh, also, fewer people were coming in when they were ill. So the actual kind of physical health of the company, um, of the workers also improved. And, you know, something like that, it sounds absolutely radical. And unfortunately, so Best Buy actually implemented it. They kind of, they, they ran it as a pilot and then they implemented it until, I can't remember, I think it was sort of the... Um, like 2013 2014 something along those lines when a new ceo came in and um threw the whole thing out the window but it's just that kind of way of working where you give your workers true autonomy and you respect them enough to let them decide how they work i mean that that's really how you're going to become more productive well i think because we can't really talk about productivity without talking about motivation and if there's nothing more motivating i believe than giving people autonomy and if you want people to work in a way that's productive aka you get the most out of them then you've got to give them the number one thing they want and that is autonomy yeah and also you know like why are people why are people not motivated in the first place i mean that's really that's the question what what are you, you know what are you as a boss what are you as a company doing that you know is making your workers feel disengaged and not feel basically not feel like doing the work they're supposed to do it's interesting because with regards to the self whenever i might be taking a while to get to into something i guess that's called procrastination um I question what what what's going on here. Is it because I don't actually want to do it? Is it because I'm scared? That's actually so. Sometimes, um, as you know, I'm a recent to this writing biz, and if I get a commission and then I'm like, oh shit, I've actually got to go and do it. That paralyzes. Well, I'm scared. It scares me, so I just don't do anything um, at first. <laughs> then I do, and I hit my deadlines. It's all good. Um, but. Um, it's checking in with yourself and if you have a constant lack of motivation and you find it constantly hard to get into something you need to think about whether it's the right thing that you should be doing like maybe you think you want to write a book but if you're really you know again if, if you if you can't get to the process and the process is extremely unenjoyable for you it's going to be very torturous and you probably won't come out with an output that's as good as you might hope if you did something else yeah i mean there's something we touched on in in the success episode but all of this gets really muddied by the fact that we live in a time where people are constantly posting their professional successes online and sometimes we think that we should do that so you know books are a great idea i have not written a book but all of my journalistic colleagues out there not all but many of them have books and i kind of think oh I need one I need to do a book but I haven't I've not done anything about I've not done anything about trying to get a book so is that because I actually don't want to write one I don't you know I I don't I don't know yet but that is that has been a huge question on my mind you know is there is my lack of motivation actually a signal of 
you know, essentially me somewhere deep inside a voice is saying that's you. It's not that you're not motivated. It's just that actually you don't, you don't want that thing. Um, but anyway, in terms of tips, another big one I have, and then this one is controversial, but I think there is a really big correlation between productivity and minimalism. And the reason I say it's controversial is because I think, unfortunately, minimalism has become, to say you're a minimalist is a bit like saying you're a vegan or a Radiohead fan in the sense that if you don't do it the whole hog, then you know you're not you're not good enough at it. You're not you're not a true you're not a purist. But I think there are lots of aspects of minimalism that tie in really really well with productivity because essentially the whole principle of minimal, minimalism is just to have a life with less, like ha- have a happy life with less. Um, I would say I'm very minimalist in my approach in my kind of attitude towards stuff. Like I don't have. I don't have that much stuff. Um, I only wear black, white, and gray. And that is actually very intentional because it means that I don't, it's, I just do not have to think about my clothes. Everything, everything matches in my wardrobe. It's just one less thing to be bombarded by. You know, we live in a world where there's just so much choice and it can sometimes be very paralyzing. And we're having to make so many decisions on a regular basis that I really do subscribe to the minimalist philosophy of just try to remove how many decisions you're having to make all the time. And actually you will find that kind of to go back to what you're saying, you know, you will feel more productive. That made me also think I completely agree with that. I, I'm a bit more colorful in my wardrobe, um, but I completely agree. And it makes me think of how if you want to remove all these friction and decision making with regards to productivity, I think what you need to do is compartmentalize, e.g. life admin. So don't be like, I'm going to pay off my bank and then I'm going to do my thing because actually what you're doing subconsciously is putting your brain in the wrong area. So I'm quite prescriptive about when I'm going to get to my life admin, which I didn't used to be. When I worked in an office, I'd just do it all day at my desk, obviously. But, <laughs> but you know, now that I actually care a bit more, <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I separate it out. And it's that same thing around clearing out the brain of all friction as much as possible. And I imagine that's good for like deciding what you're going to eat. Yes. Um, a good friend of ours and journalist Hazel Sheffield has the same thing for lunch every day, soup and a salad because she is and she is a very productive person with who does a lot and and has a very um high quality of her output and she's just in her work mode throughout the day she doesn't want to be thinking about what do i what do i want to have for lunch she always knows yeah that's great and probably the last thing i would recommend is to not read articles about how to hack productivity i feel like that's a waste of time (laughs) instead read articles about how creativity can't be hacked all the links are in the show notes thank you very much for listening and we do hope that you at least feel like you're going to have a productive day after listening to this episode thank you bye bye